Hey, it's Jamie Ali Murad, singer-songwriter, coming at you from sunny Los Angeles, and this is the Unsigned Chat Podcast. Hello everyone, I'm Matt and this is the Unsigned Chat Podcast, episode number 53. I can't believe that we're nearly into February already. Where has January gone? This week's episode, I am back with a special guest and it's always great to chat with him. This is the second time he has been on the podcast. We've also done some Instagram lives together and it's always a pleasure to talk to him. So without further ado, let's jump straight into the episode and chat with Los Angeles-based singer-songwriter Jamie Alimurad. So Jamie, welcome. How are you? I'm doing all right. Happy New Year to you. I hope January is off to a really good start, and I think this is going to be a great year. I think it is. I think it's like things are slowly starting. It seems to be getting back to some sort of normality, and things are slowly, yeah. certainly over here, certainly like opening up again, and things are slowly happening, which is a positive sign. I, I would agree. It's been a little bit of a seesaw in the states, uh, certainly depending on where you live, but out here in Los Angeles, um, there's a little bit of paranoia, I would say, I think particularly for the larger gatherings, but we're fortunate enough that the weather is pretty nice and consistent throughout the year. So can still do plenty outside. And I think everybody has something for them in this town, which is nice, but I'd like it when we get to spring that it's just completely normal again. And I think that's what everyone's waiting for now, isn't it? I think so. I mean, we we all deserve it. It's been two years of, of all this headache. Absolutely. But I think the last two years have been really good for you because it's kind of given you a lot more opportunity to write new stuff because you've just got a new song that you've released recently, haven't you? Yes, yes. It's been good in a lot of ways personally because the the lockdowns and the shutdowns and all the stuff of the world stopping its rotation in many ways allowed me to just step back. And on a very personal level, I looked at different areas of my life and just kind of put things in order as, as well as take some, I think, very needed self-reflection time. And in the beginning of all this, in talking with my peers, my friends, family members, I think a lot of us were doing that. And then things just kind of went all haywire with the yelling for all these different reasons. And it made everybody more on edge and... Uh, no one can in power anyway seem to be able to really get on the same page and just lots of shouting on social media and all that stuff and less listening and understanding um which i find really unfortunate but in that time i would try and find whatever peace and solace and quiet that i could to figure out what i wanted to do next to get to know myself a little bit better and then starting in the spring of last year, I, I got together with my co-writer and producer, Ross Finelli, that did my last two singles, Brighter Days and Not Ready to Say Goodbye. And we kind of did the whole Lennon-McCartney thing of going in the studio and sitting across from each other. He had his acoustic guitar. I'd sit on the keyboard and we just play. I have this idea. Let's go. You have this idea. Let's go. And we just went back and forth like a tennis match. And we came up with uh, probably around two dozen songs in five or six days. It was great. And we've recorded five of them so far. The first one, Give a Little Lovin', came out on January 7th. And we've started a few other recordings, but throughout this year, I'm going to release 
all these singles. And when I feel it's reached its end point of this project, I'll probably just put a little bow on it and call it a collection or an album sort of thing. And there it'll be. That's amazing that you did so many songs within such a short sort of space of time. Well, it was. How did you get into that, that sort of mindset? Was it kind of easy to just come up with such a large number of songs or, you know, what was going through your mind at the time that managed to get you to do that? In the months leading up to it, I had written some things and I basically didn't finish any of them. And when Ross and I got, we had preliminary talks uh, in the beginning of 2021, then a little bit more detailed talks uh, in March, April. And when we got to May, it was, all right, let's drop a plan here of what, how we want to do this. And honestly, the, the juices for it came pretty quickly because getting in the studio with someone, it was the first time I'd actually been in some sort of creative work space in two years. And I'm very much a kinetic energy guy. I need that vibrancy. I need that action to really get that spark ignited. And yeah, I'd seen some friends here and there and we'd go on walks or hikes or bike ride or sit outside and chat and all that stuff. But that's very leisurely and very calming. And that's, I wasn't in any sort of creative headspace or nothing really happened in those encounters, those hangs that made me say, wow, I really need to tell this story or really makes me think of something. And when I got into the studio with Ross and we were just trading ideas back and forth, because we were on the same brainwave, we had the same goals. It was quite easy to come up with a lot of things. And the music came very fast. I mean, we were, I think we'd come up with anywhere between five and seven pretty strong musical ideas a session. Then it was the lyric stuff. And that took a little bit more time. And there were a few songs, one or two particularly, that as soon as we started going through the melody, most of the melodic ideas are his. As soon as we started going through that stuff, I just had all these feelings and these thoughts come out from whatever was locked inside or there in the summer started, you know, going out again and doing some more normal things that uh, I said, I, I got to talk about this. And it was, it was great. It was really fun. And just being in that headspace and in that creative space, especially after two years away, it was, it was almost like opening up the floodgates and, uh, songwriting, I still think it's magic. I don't know where it comes from. Like, how does, how does this happen? And then upon listening to some of the recordings we made, I would just sit back and really get lost in them and go, like, wow, we, we really created that stuff. And it's a really unbelievable feeling. So you say, obviously, you're thinking about releasing them as singles and then, in your words, putting a bow on it and calling it a collection at the end. What was your reasoning behind doing that way as opposed to just going, here's an EP? The algorithm stuff. We're certainly at a point where the a la carte model, the single model, is what's dominant. And I've tried to keep my finger on the pulse as best I can to what the executives are saying. And the common feeling 
uh, from, from those CEOs and VPs and all that stuff is they want the artists to just churn out as much product as quickly as possible. And I also know, excuse me, when it comes to playlist pitching for the editorials, as well as some of the other just more normal or non, um, you know, they're separate from the, the official Spotify or Apple playlist, Amazon playlist, that sort of stuff. They want things very fresh and they really only want to push one thing at a time. So if I go the old school way, which is my preference and what I did last time, I'm basically just shooting myself in the foot because I could have an album full of hits like Saturday night fever or thriller or something like that. But since I'm an independent guy and not on the label where maybe they can work something out, they just want one song that they're going to push. And then I think, well, what about the other nine, 10, 11 songs that are on the album? They don't get any time in the sun. No, we no, we just want the one and that's what we're going to do. And you just get that one shot for those editorial things. And then for some of the other playlists, you know, you want to space it out. You want these songs to breathe a little bit, but if they're three months old, they're too old. That sort of thing is mm -hmm. what I started coming across in my research and talking to some of my my friends, my peers that they're doing the same thing that I am. So it just made sense to do single after single. It helps you get more visibility uh, and it allows to kind of have that uh, taste test thing. Oh, you, you like the first one? Well, get ready because there's a whole lot more coming later this year. And then it's it's like a 12 course meal or whatever it is, you know, whatever comparison you want to make. So that's that's why I decided to go that route. I suppose it's interesting sort of releasing them more as singles, like you're saying, because at least then you get to sort of promote each song individually as opposed to just doing it as an overall package. There's the EP. So at least each song gets it's real good moment. Absolutely. And when you get to the point, if you're fortunate enough to get as big as uh, Drake or Adele or Taylor Swift, or that sort of iconic status, you put the whole album, like The Weeknd right now, you know, everything. He's, he's taken over all the top uh, the streaming lists and all, all those charts because he has that kind of fan base and that sort of popularity that he doesn't really need any of that stuff because the fans are just going to drive that traffic and drive those numbers that they're going to get featured on their own. But when you're trying to really build something, and especially in my case, I hadn't released anything in just over two years because of the things going on with the pandemic. So the best way for me to start getting attention again is to play their game, and that's to use the algorithm. That's that's a really good way of doing it. Have you got I like a so. have you got like a schedule in mind then of like okay, obviously give a little loving out now. Have you got like a schedule of when the next one's going to drop and then when the next one after that is? Yeah, I have some preliminary ideas. I don't want to exactly commit to a date no, just no. yet, but my thought for the second single uh, is in the middle of March, the second half of March. Um, I'm trying to figure out some things with potential live dates. There's still so much that with travel involved and if I'm bringing the full band or if it's going to be more of a stripped down way of performing, how are we going to do it? What are the precautions? Is everybody comfortable? There's sort of variables with that that may influence my decision, but the second single 
uh, will come out sometime in March. I'm thinking more towards the, the, the latter half of it. And then depending on some other things, I'd like the release schedule to be a little bit more frequent after that. Um, somewhere between every six and eight weeks, but probably closer to five or six at, at that point, if I can really get the momentum going and have some things pan out the way that I, uh, I, I consider ideal. And you release them all through your own independent label. Yeah, my, my label, Not Whole Records, is through Ditto Music. I have a partnership with them, and they've been great. Uh, everything with them has been uh, pretty lovely at this point. And um, I, I think they're pretty cutting edge with a lot of things going on in, in these new trends and you know stuff with NFTs right now and all the cryptocurrency stuff. It's still not my bag. I'm still not caught up fully to everything that's going on there. It just seems, it seems like every week there's something else that all of us indies have to learn to, to get on board with, or to understand that down the road, you'll want to find a way to facilitate this aspect of the industry. It's, it's really crazy that there's just so much going on, but uh, Ditto has a lot of great resources and this is certainly, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to give them a, like you know, a, a a plug here and everything, but I guess I kind of am. They've they've been very they've been very good to me in the past, so um, I have positive things to say there. Because distributors for for indies, it, it can be a crapshoot sometimes. No, absolutely. So, go just mention on obviously what you were talking about then about NFTs and obviously crypto and all that. I mean, I'm no expert on it, believe me. <laughs> I just had a, a really great conversation with a friend of mine who's a composer and a guitar player, a singer, that he, he does a lot of things for, for short films, animated films, and he's getting back into, or trying to get back into his his singer-songwriter uh, career. And the NFT stuff, he's done a lot more reading and a lot more research than I have, but I don't really get it. Uh, I mean, I do, but I don't. And to me, the the thing that makes sense to dive into that market is if you've already established something, you have a dedicated fan base that its value is a perceived value from the population. So that drives everything. And that, of course, that's what economics is. I mean, uh, you know, a pound, a dollar, a, a whatever is just a piece of paper that we've assigned value to. And it's just accepted. So now with these NFTs, you're creating through a blockchain something that is individual, but the community is what's deciding its value. And from there, you have people that will buy them, but once they have them, they can do whatever they want with them and they, they trade them. But the person that was the original creator, like an artist, says... I'm going to sell these NFTs, but for every time they're traded, I'm going to retain 10%. So as their values grow, as they keep getting traded for more and more dollars or whatever the cryptocurrency is, that whatever the assigned economic value is, they're getting 10% back and then they can turn that into whatever their local currency is. It's, it's a trip to me. And unless you have a really big following, I don't see what the point is to get involved with it right now. And I mean, a big following, 
Um, mm-hmm. Nothing modest, because otherwise it's just going to stay there. It's just going to sit there. And then maybe if you explode, then sure, you can have one of these rare things and kind of be like a, you know, some sort of David Bowie or Grateful Dead bootleg from 1974 or something like that. They're like, oh, a collector has to have it. I, I feel like it's going in that sort of direction. But it's not a bootleg. It's official because it's done by the artist or the label themselves, that sort of thing. Do you think that NFTs will actually catch on within sort of the music thing? I mean, it I, might be a bit I, later on, but... I think so. Uh, there, there have been too many things that I've seen in the music industry that I go, what the heck is that? Who wants to do this? Do people want to do this? And the answer almost always has been yes. And I go, oh, okay. Well, I guess that's the thing now. I, I believe if enough powerful players get behind any sort of movement in the creative field where they feel they're going to make a lot of money from it, then it's going to take off. How long it lasts, I have no idea. But growing up in that late 90s, early 2000s era when Napster came and then a few years later, iTunes came and with the physical CDs were selling more than ever. Then they came out with mini CDs. Then you had all these other things. I don't remember what they were called, but I believe the Tiger made them the, I forgot what toy company owns them, but they were these very... They looked like eight tracks, but they were way smaller. And that was a very specific way that you could only listen to it on this one specific play. It was like a toy thing, but it counted towards record sales. And there were so many different mediums that you can do, all basically promising to be the next wave. And then it just became digital. And now vinyl has come back. Vinyl has outsold CDs in the United States for the first time in 30 years, 35 years, whatever it is. And there is somewhat of a return to physical medium, but people want the retro physical medium, not the high quality digital sound because they'd rather stream it. So there are so many things that at some point, someone probably said, well, that way is dead or this is never going to take off and it circles back around or it just skyrockets off somewhere else. I mean, people are releasing singles and albums on cassettes again cassettes what it's it's crazy so i'm the wrong person to ask is that going to work i'd say now i don't who wants a cassette right now people are buying cassettes the thing is everything seems, to go, everything seems to go like full circle though doesn't it because i mean obviously yeah. v- vinyl seems to be very popular now and coming back around again so everything seems to come full circle eventually Yeah, and I I think so much of that has to do with social media and the internet because you have, uh, I mean, this isn't my place to say, but I'm just coming from my perspective and seeing, you know, family friends that have children and uh, being a, a music teacher on the side and seeing how kids are absorbing media nowadays. They're seeing all this retro stuff that they think is cool or they have an older sibling or someone that they look up to that talks about that stuff and they think it's cool. And there are ways to access that stuff in 2022 that if we're talking about an outdated technology and you know my childhood in the 90s talking about, oh, let's go find an eight track tape or something. You aren't gonna find that. Now in all these record shops and on third party Amazon things or eBay or whatever, people have that stuff available to purchase 
and you can see it and you can get involved with it. So I think it's easier for a society as a collection to get in on that sort of thing. And, you know, all it takes is one or two really popular influencers to be showing off rollerblading with a Sony Walkman or something. And all these kids are going to say, oh, I want to do that. What, what's a tape? You know, what's a CD or, oh, man, look at that big thing spinning on a turntable. What's that? And, you know, I, I, let's get those things. It's it's just kind of like the big shiny uh, medallion or toy in the window of like, oh yeah, pretty. Let let me do that. So that's one of the cool things, in my opinion, about social media is that it's it's exposing new people to older stuff, and they're getting an appreciation for it. Interesting that you mentioned social media there, because I mean, I don't know whether you've seen sort of last week and this week. There's been a lot of musicians posting about whether musicians are becoming sort of content creators or whether they're actually musicians. Mm. What's your views on it? What what do you sort of see what's happening at the moment? with? That's a great question. Um, Okay. I would say that a lot of the acts that are in the mainstream, I think they're content creators. But I think the vast majority of the more unknown musical population are the artists, if you will. You know, they're, they're the ones that it's because it's coming from a different place and it's a case by case situation. But if you look at a lot of the top artists, yeah, they may get songwriting credit here and there and stuff like that, but they're, they're not the same type of songwriters that the classic acts are. Or even going back to like the mid 2000s and some of those bands and some of those solo artists or groups, it's, it's just not the same way. It's much more packaged and mm-hmm. that then allows for more of content creation and it, it just seems to come from more of a place of marketing, branding, advertising. And we all need to market, you know, that that's, I'm not saying any of those things are, Ooh, you know, sell out stuff. No, 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 no. You want to sell out. You want to sell out every show that you do, but the, it's, it's just, I guess the word is authenticity. You know, there's a lot of things from the big acts that I see that being in the studio so often being around so many iconic people from the past and seeing how they work and what they can do without any of the bells and whistles as natural talent. I listen to a lot of that stuff and I go, okay, well, it's all fake and it's just there to fill a certain purpose. Whereas some of these other things are coming from a a really raw place or just, Hey, I wanted to do this. I felt something. I wanted to say something. I wanted to perform something. I wanted to do this. It just seems less, um, it seems less like a commercial and, and more genuine of just, I, I wanted to put this song out there, whether it's an original or a cover or, or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, it makes me interesting points. I suppose that's the thing at the moment, isn't it? It's like the mainstream sort of artists are more sort of content creators. Although with you know the independent artists, they've also got to try and, create content as well to market their music and whatnot 
It's true. We have to do everything. As an independent artist, you have to wear all the hats and you have to look at what's working and apply that to your sound, your image, your brand, your name as best you can because it's a very oversaturated marketplace. Everybody's doing something. It's nonstop. So finding ways to stand out can be hard. And I think the best way to stand out is actually just be yourself. Don't do a gimmick just to do a gimmick. Do, if you, if you want to wear crazy clothes or have crazy color in your hair or makeup or whatever it is, do it for yourself. Don't do it because you think that's what's going to work. That's what I've found, especially in LA, or what's, that's a big trope here. A lot of people want to latch onto something because they just want eyeballs and they'll get the eyeballs, but then they close and they're not interested anymore because there isn't a whole lot of substance behind it. That's the thing, isn't it? You can soon get caught out if you haven't got the right sort of message that you're sending. I, I think so. I, I mean, there's, it's funny, the rules seem to be different for the less established acts. And I believe that's because for the less established acts, you're in a much more intimate space. So when you're close to someone, you can see all the cracks, you can see the wrinkles, you can see where uh, not standing so tall over there, okay. But when someone is so big and you have that army behind them, they're gonna be under the best lights with the best makeup and the best clothes and only showing the best of what they have to offer. But when you're on a small stage or when you're doing something where you're talking to a smaller group of people, the emphasis is just on the speaker. It's just on the act. Whereas yeah. on a big stage, you got all the lights, you got smoke, pyrotechnics, dancers, you got all this carnival and circus going on around them that you suddenly whether you know it or not, aren't paying as much attention to who you came to see. You're, you're more into the, the grandiose nature of everything. And I, I think that applies on social media. I think that applies um, on any sort of digital platform, you know, looking at Spotify numbers, looking at trends, looking at uh, articles or listening to an interview on a radio show, a podcast, a television show, a YouTube series, whatever. It, there's the, the intimacy thing, I, I think, changes everything. And if you're a big act and you go to that small stage, sometimes it doesn't work out so well because they can see, oh, it's almost like an emperor's new clothes sort of thing. It's interesting you mentioned there about sort of social media and how it so kind of like portrays the the best of sort of people as in like people post the best sort of things that's going on in their lives but i suppose on the other twist as well it also brings out the worst in some people it does <laughs> and i mean it's it's human nature i think to have that that jealousy we all want more in, in something it may not always be the same thing but we always want a little bit more. And I think at least in Western society, right, there's certain expectations. You kind of get in this box that this is what 
family hopes for you or you see your friends doing certain things that you feel like, oh, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. You know, it's, we're, we're a tribal species. So we, we, we go along with those things. And then you have folks, whether they're in arts or um, they're, they're doing their own business. Sometimes it's in medicine, sometimes it's law, what, what, whatever it is that they go outside that box and they're doing things that you may not fully understand. So I think there's plenty of psychological studies that show when you don't understand something, you're a little afraid of it. So there's that bit of a threat there. And that's where things get hard. And especially for anyone, whether they're on the artist side of music, they're on the writer's side of music, they're an agent, they're a manager, they're in promotion, they're, they're in media. There's so much that goes into that, that if you want to do it as your own company, your own platform, you have to build that from scratch. It takes a village to make it really big in the end, but you're the leader. And a lot of people have a hard time understanding that stuff. And social media can be a very visceral place because you have a lot of these faceless names that just want to take a dump on people for actually going for something that they're too chicken to do themselves. And at this point, for me, I can let a lot of that stuff just roll off my, my shoulders and my back. But when you're younger, you can't help but take it a little bit personally, like, hey, who the heck are you? I don't know who you are. And I've had situations where people that I've known personally that got pretty jealous of an opportunity or some success that I had, that whatever their beef with me was, they would catfish profiles and just write all this nasty stuff to me and things like that, just because they were unhappy with their own lives. And, you know, it's, uh, it's par for the course, unfortunately, if you want to be in the public eye, but it's just a shame that so many people feel this false sense of strength and courage to just trash people but it's only because they're so upset with themselves I completely agree i think some people are better off just scrolling past things that they might not necessarily agree with or they feel they want to write something negative about you're better off just scrolling past it absolutely i i, I always think of my 10th grade english teacher and she was a very creative soul. I, I loved her class. And she would always talk about stress and handling anxiety because we were in 10th grade and you're starting to then think about the, we have to take the SATs next year and you're thinking very loosely about college and, you know, you're going into the second half of, of, of high school as where you get to grade 11, all that stuff. So she would talk about things with us and you're at that age you know, still going through puberty and those changes and the emotions sometimes run rampant. So she would tell us in class that whenever you feel really overwhelmed, why don't you write? Write it down, put it in a poem, put it in a letter, put it in a song, write a whole story, whatever it is, just get it out of your system. And particularly with letters, she'd say, then, you know, don't send it, just let it sit there or rip it up. You just need it as an outlet. But with Twitter, with Instagram comments, with Facebook comments, with, with direct messaging, all that stuff, people will act on impulse and they'll click send or tweet or whatever. 
And then it's out there and you can try and take it back. You can delete it, but the internet is forever. And if people want, they can still go and find it. And that's the problem. People don't have that restraint. They really should let all those feelings out somewhere else. Or even if you want to write it on those platforms, then don't press send. Maybe just leave it there and the window open for a night. And then after you've decompressed, do you still feel this way? Probably not then just delete it and you can save everybody a whole lot of hassle and you're not putting all this negativity and visceral out there into the world. We don't need that stuff. No, definitely. Definitely. So what's your plans for 2022? I know you obviously mentioned you're going to have some single releases coming up this year. So what's your other plans? Are you looking to do a, a tour? Are you looking to just do some independent live shows or what's your, what's your definitely plan? definitely want to get back into concerts uh, i just got a few offers in the other day about some stuff across the u.s so i have to plan that out there's a lot of things that go into touring at this point because we're still unsure about certain things and different places have different policies and of course when you have a band that you take with you you got to make sure everybody's feeling good about this because if people don't feel good, they're not going to play well because their mind is elsewhere. So I'm very hopeful as we get into the spring and the summer. And then of course, into the fall, there's going to be lots of shows, whether it's all across the country. I don't think it's going to be international just yet. Maybe next year, because I'm dying to go play in Europe. Um, maybe next year would be easier for that sort of thing. I want to do a lot of video work. All of the music that I have coming out this year lends itself to video really well. And I have a lot of great ideas for these songs that I'd really like to flesh out and build up that presence a whole lot more. And then I was in the studio earlier this week with Ross just going over some stuff. And we were talking about the stuff that we have that's unfinished from last year. And there are certain ones that are far along that we want to finish. But then we have this backlog of things that we didn't start recording. And we also want to write some other things because by the time we're ready to get back in again, we'll probably be in June or July. So at that point, a number of songs will be out. So like any good company here, you kind of see what's working. What are people gravitating towards? What's a strength and what are, what are things that people aren't as hip to, which hopefully won't be any. Uh, and, and then we can kind of adjust. They're like, well, let's write this kind of song or, you know, hey, this kind of rhythm feels good. Uh, let, let's do more of stuff like that. So playing live um, video, whether that's just straight up music video, lyric video, performance videos, live videos, stuff like that. I'd love a whole lot more. And we have to finish all these songs in the studio. And then we want to write some more as well, because, you know. 2023 we need new music too so it I, I just want it to keep flowing that's that's really my goal for this year is that it becomes that that constant wave it's just like the ocean moving about and uh so far off to a good start that's good so at the moment as things stand if you do live performances it's just like each state have different rules as to what you can and can't do and restrictions and things like that it's it's crazy over here because different parts of los angeles county have different rules okay. so uh yesterday I, I went out for dinner and was driving through certain parts of town 
And legitimately within a stretch of, let's say a mile or two, I drove past four, six venues, something like that. And to think that, wow, all of these places have different rules of who can go in there and who can play based on uh, vaccination status, mask policies, uh, negative test things. It's, it's, it's wild. And that's just in Los Angeles County. So there's so much homework to do as far as what are we doing here? What are you okay with? All right. I understand that. That's cool. Is it worth taking the gig? Is anybody going to show up? Like, that's the other thing. Like, we, we could want to play the gig all we want, but hey, <laughs> is my audience feel good actually coming to this? You know, that's, that's the other thing. Um, uh, we're, LA is sandwiched between Ventura County and Orange County, and, and both of those counties are very relaxed with everything. It's, you don't need a mask inside. You don't need anything. You know, it's, it's, it's completely different. And it's a quick drive for all of those places. It's like being in another world, just driving 30 minutes. But within LA, I can drive five minutes and I'm in another world. So that's where it's really hard in trying to figure some of that stuff out. My main concern, obviously, is what do I feel good with? Because I got to feel good about it if I'm the one that's on the marquee there. Then I got to see what my band feels good about and what kind of setup they want for us. And then if we're like, okay, we can take this gig, then it's all right. Well, hold on. Is anybody going to show up? Because if the audience doesn't feel safe there, why the heck are we doing this? We could just play at home. So it's, it's all those things of trying to piece together. And that's why I feel the winter, at least for me, is going to be a bit of a uh, uh, what's what's the right word here? You know, it's a it's a bit of a, a challenge for sure. But it's like um, it's like playing Twister. You know, like oh okay, put your hand here and then your foot over there and cross over that way. I'd rather it be a little bit more straightforward, and that's why I'm pretty optimistic about the spring being something that's a, a little bit easier to handle. It was interesting there where you talked about the venues with different rules and. Would the audience want to come to the, the venue with whatever rules are in place at the time? Because a lot of artists tend to focus on them and as in themselves and getting a gig. Whereas you've actually thought about are the fans wanting to come? Which yeah. is quite a very interesting sort of mindset at the moment. But, well, it's important because I think every musician is a fan too. I mean, they're a fan of their own work, I would hope but they have their favorite artists and their favorite acts and we're all itching to get out. I mean, I love where I live, but I don't like being here all the time. And I haven't been to a concert in two years. I haven't played a concert in almost two years. And it's one thing thinking about all that stuff, but everybody has different comfort levels as soon as they go outside or they're in a store or they go buy a restaurant. People, are traumatized in a lot of ways from what's happened these last two years. And I don't blame them. I certainly still have plenty of fear with certain things, but I think everyone should be respectful of one another and do what's comfortable. And whether we want to admit it or not, I think there's a lot of what musicians do. That's very much in the service industry. We serve ourselves 
I think a lot of playing and songwriting comes from that selfish perspective because, hey, I want to do this. And I don't say selfish in a negative way. I think that's a positive. You feel something, you want to let it out. You want to play, you play. You want to sing, you sing. But we're also doing this to bring people together. You, you want everybody to enjoy the show. But if they can't enjoy the show, I don't think you should do the show. And it's no fun. I mean, nobody wants to play for a room or a hall that's 75% empty, 50% empty. It's just, no, that stinks. <laughs> so uh, it, it's important to me that everybody feels comfortable and that we can have a party because it should be fun. No, it's a it's a great way to look at it and to think about it. Because I know when you were on the podcast before, we were talking about obviously what you think it's going to be like, sort of going back out and gigging again. And one of the things you obviously mentioned then about was you know obviously not sharing equipment with other oh, musicians yeah. and all that sort of. And oh, I think yeah. we were even, I remember. I think we were even joking at the time about the band, you know, having to play behind like perspex screens. Glass. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were. <laughs> It looks like we're not going to have to get to that sort of level of live performances. Oh, well, thank goodness. I mean, the, the, the next phase is coming of being able to holographically project yourself for concerts. I mean, I've seen that technology. It's wild. And I have a friend that's very much invested in VR tech and has been to VR concerts and VR raves and things like that. That's all coming. The tech isn't Certainly, it's not strong enough to be completely mainstream, um, and there are still plenty of bugs that need to be worked out. But it's it's there's going to be more opportunity for the non in person thing. But I'm glad that we've gotten to a point and some understanding of what's been going on with this virus, and it's not as if we have to play as if we're zoo animals because that would suck. Yeah. It'd be like being in a bit of a fishbowl, wouldn't it, if you had to play behind like a perspex screen? Yeah, you can't. I, With people it, just it sat feel, there watching. Yeah, it would almost feel like you're one of those uh, things at a carnival that you put a coin in and then the curtain opens up and the mechanical band <laughs> plays something. And then the song's over and the cl curtain closes. Like, oh, please insert 25 cents. You know, one of those old-timey things. That would just suck because the best part is that, that real connection with with the audience and we don't want plexiglass and that sort of stuff that's creating some sort of barrier it's no fun it's interesting how you touched upon virtual reality and sort of holograms and all that sort of thing i mean do you think vr will come into sort of live performances in a big way and what kind of how do you see that working well my friend uh, one of my friends out here that's a, a songwriter, musician, he works in other areas of the industry as well. He's really into VR. And when you hear this guy talk about VR, you would think everybody needs this in their home now because this is the future. And I've seen some of his VR videos. He's, he's made VR short films, comedy shorts, and they're hilarious. They're great. And it's a really interesting space uh he's been to vr movie premieres during the height of the pandemic i mean it's it's wild the stuff that is already available and in 2018 i went to an event on the warner brothers studio lot where they were really showing off 5g capabilities 
and I may have said this before, I don't, I don't remember, but uh, there, there was one example, one um, showcase where you would go into, uh, it, would, it was a saloon set piece. So you go in the saloon and it's all country Western in there and you're like, okay, what's, what's happening in here? And then all of a sudden you look towards the corner and there was this very Obi-Wan Kenobi R2-D2 projection. Like, oh, that's cool. This is pre-rendered, right? No, that show is happening live in the other room. You're like, get out. So you'd follow the path and you'd go in and lo and behold, you went into the other room. There's this guy playing this live show. And uh, I, I made some friends that day. So I said, all right, let's see if this is actually happening. And we called each other to see if the, what the lag would be like. And like, oh my goodness, this is really happening. Like that's, that's actually what's going on there. The quality wasn't good. It legitimately looked like the original Star Wars, but it was real. It wasn't some sort of special effects thing. So just the fact that that could happen was crazy. And then there was another exhibit in there where I was in augmented reality. I put on these AR glasses. And again, this band was in another place, uh, not too far, because the connection wouldn't, it's not strong enough yet. But conceptually, they're in another place, maybe 50 feet away, but walls blocking them. And I put on these glasses and I was in a space that was marked. And I was legitimately on stage with them in augmented reality. It was nuts. It was so cool. And you put on headphones too. The sound quality was pretty decent. It was maybe a little bit less than what you would expect from the, the current power of the streaming platforms, that bandwidth. It was wild. So that's going on four years ago. I can only imagine how much the tech has improved, but it's a matter of figuring out how they can make it commercially available because it would still be way too expensive but it's coming and it feels like we're going to be in this star wars or star trek reality before we know it and uh we should be somewhat prepared you know it's it's a real it's a real thing uh, it's, it's very cool i think it's really sort of exciting times with technology and how technology can sort of overlap into sort of traditional music industry yeah i i love the way that it's being integrated into the gaming world i'm a big video <laughs> game player and twitch the way that that has cultivated a certain culture there's a lot of positives to all of that and i think most of it is great and it's really interesting that in a game like Fortnite, they're having concerts and they're having raves and that sort of thing that oh, there goes your virtual character and there's that person, that artist that a lot of these kids might really like that they're in that same virtual space, excuse me, space together. That's, that's pretty cool. And the way that I think those partnerships are just going to continue to expand, it creates all sorts of unique opportunities that you could only dream about even five years ago. So it's going to get more and more rapid and, and that's wild. It's certainly a massive space to watch out and see what kind of happens, isn't it, over the next sort of five years or so? Yeah, and it, I'm most curious about the generational thing because kids that are going to get hooked to that stuff, they have access to 
whatever tech, whether it's a tablet, a computer, a laptop, the smart TVs, gaming consoles, whatever. And, you know, I don't know too many uh, places where you see it, unless it's a real teeny bopper kind of concert, you're not seeing a whole lot of little kids at shows. It's, I mean, or they'll be with their parents or something like that. I'd be curious as they start to get older and concerts in their mind are more in a virtual or digital space. How comfortable do they feel then going out to see this person in person? What happens as the metaverse becomes more and more quote unquote real? There's already haptic feedback. And I think in China, I, they invented a screen that you can lick then and get the sensation of taste. I mean, what's going on with all that stuff? So how that then applies to the concert industry is going to be really interesting because of course, by right now, especially being cooped up inside for two years, we all want to go back to the shows. We want to see bands on stage, but what happens better and better and the younger generations, people start having kids like our generation is having families that are like, well, we don't want to take them to that show. Let's just have them here because it's probably cheaper. You can just do it at home. We just get them and they go in boop, 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 and they're watching the concert with the glasses on, the goggles, the headphones, whatever. Then when they have the chance, when they're teenagers or in their 20s, like, man, I want to go see that person do it in real life. Would they want to go? I think that's a really fascinating question. Absolutely. So with your music at the moment, do you, obviously just moving on from VR. Sure, with, sure. With your music at the moment, do you look to do like licensing deals like TV, films, adverts? And oh, things yeah. Like that? Is that... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's such a great way to, to get notoriety and to build up more and more legitimacy and obviously to increase the fan base because that's what you want to do is get your music out to as many people as possible. In the past, I've had some small licensing things and I've been a finalist, so to speak, for certain bigger placements and it just hasn't panned out that way, which is fine. But I'm pretty optimistic about this new stuff. It's the most commercial music that I've ever done. It's the most rhythmic music that I've ever done. And I think it checks a lot of boxes of how people tend to listen to music nowadays, whether that's doing homework or chores around the house, um, uh, gaming. I mean, obviously driving in the car, all that stuff. It, my, my biggest goal when we set out writing this music was regardless of what the tempo is, I want there to be lots of rhythm that you can't help but bop to it. And I love my last album a lot, and there's a lot of beauty in it, but it's very much an old school record that it's best when you shut off the world and listen to it. Like there's no other distraction. And that's not really practical in, in the 21st century. So with this one, it's very hooky. It's still very melodic. It's got great harmonies, but it's the rhythm. I think it's all about the rhythm. And I think that certainly helps in trying to get it placed in commercials and TV shows and, hey, a movie. That'd be great. Which movie would you like to get your music placed if you could? I don't know. Whatever offers the most money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd like it to be a good movie, but there have been plenty of great songs and bad movies, and that's fine. I mean, it's, you know, it's whatever. Uh, I, I think the music has to stand on its own. And uh, if it can be placed with something that's uh, 
a really good piece of cinema that that's a bonus but um at this point beggars for me beggars can't be choosers so i i would just like something with some legitimacy and that that has a, an audience that goes oh, well, I, I like that song in that scene or if i could get the the opening sequence forget about it and then the second most cherished spot is the the, the credits you want that credit song so whatever i i I'd, I'd take almost anything so do you kind of have any songs then where you kind of think okay, they'll probably never get released as a single or on an album, but they would be perfect for, you know, either like TV, film, adverts or... I feel a lot of that from the last album, that they're not really... They'd only be considered a single if they were attached to something. I mean, I have a song called I Am Home that's a really beautiful love song. It's It, it really gives you goosebumps it's it's very very pure very innocent that that kind of sweet love sort of thing and it starts with this really nice flute solo that comes in again during the bridge and i of course because you hear the flute you're like oh my my heart will go on in titanic and like okay you want to make that comparison fine but if you think about that song more than likely as epic a tune it is that's what 96 97 i think I don't know how well that song would have done without being in the movie. So I feel if I had I Am Home placed in some big rom-com or some, uh, you know, um, like, like The Notebook, you know, a movie like that, then the song would take off because of its affiliation with that story and those characters. But on its own, I, I think a lot of the current decision makers radio programmers playlist curators a and r folks they'd say that oh that's a deep cut sort of thing so um you know if anybody wants any of those songs that's making a film you know just just reach out to me but i i think the last album was very cinematic in that way in the almost classic sense uh Mm -hmm. and with this new stuff it's it's very pop uh, it's very electronic. Um, it, it's got great blend of pop, R and B, and funk throughout it. Uh, I, I like it a lot. You never know. Then after you, uh, after you've now mentioned that you would quite happily have your music licensed, you never know what might happen. Might get. Offered. Of course. Hey, anybody listening that that <laughs> wants to talk to me about getting a, a placement in there, you know, sure, I, I'm I'm happy to have those conversations. And the 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 real goal is as you release the next one and the next one and the next one, you just want to keep expanding. You want to expand that audience, and the audience that you already have, you want to have them expand and oh wow, he can do this. So oh, I like when he goes in that direction. You know, you want to broaden them a little bit too, and I, I think that's what's so exciting about the prospects of this year. It, it, there's, there's so much that I have ready and I'm really excited about these songs. There's something about them that you can't help but feel really positive after listening to them. And uh, it's a slight, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say it's a different direction. And going off of the singles from the last album, Not Ready to Say Goodbye and Brighter Days, we built off of that, gave it a little bit more edge, a little bit more rhythm, a little bit more attitude. And it, it seems like the, the next natural step. 
that's where the songwriting went and it, it feels really good well i actually think that 2022 is going to be a good year for you because you seem to have got quite a lot of momentum already for the year ahead it, it feels that way i mean it feels really really great uh, of course you need the music first but I, I've put together a pretty strong team. At least uh, that's what I feel. A lot of, I'm working with some familiar people, but a lot of new people. And we, we share a common vision, and that's very important. And beyond that, when, you, when I speak with them, uh, it's very much like an individual conversation, not as if I'm customer 1592 or something like that. They, they want to talk to Jamie and not just some other artist that is – taking up space on the roster and for us indies that's hard you you need help you can do only so much on your own because you're one person there's 24 hours in a day and the world is vast and you never know what market is going to work for you of course you want to do well in your your home area but i've learned so much about trigger markets and places where you can really have a launch launch point that that's easier, but man, sometimes there's a seven, eight hour time difference and you got to be on, on a call with those people and this and that, and figuring out those things. You can't do it by yourself. You'll just burn out. So the thing that I'm most excited for in allowing this music to reach a, a broader audience is that I feel I've put together a really strong team and it's continuing to grow that shares that vision, treats me as an individual, respects the artistry, and they want it to be successful too, because that means they'll get more business. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people are very short-sighted about uh, in all these sharks out there. You go on Twitter and you'll be bombarded with however many profiles promise you that they're gonna promote you to X amount of playlists and get you this many streams and all that stuff. And we all have our own stories of being burned by that type of person, whatever area of the industry that they're in. But the ones that are legitimate, of course, have somewhat of a track record, but they also understand if they do a good job, you're going to come back to them. And that's a better way to build a business than just have these one and dones, which a lot of these other outlets use. And that, that just, that just sucks there. So uh, this is really, really exciting for me. And, it's very early, but the, the pre-launch stuff was really strong. And just looking at some of the numbers for the first week, it's only been out a week. It's exponentially the hottest start that I've ever had in the streaming era. And uh, it's a good feeling knowing that this is just the beginning. Well, Jamie, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on the podcast. Where can people find you on social media? Well, thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure to, to shoot the breeze and talk shop with you. It just, it just feel like we're, we're hanging out all the time, Matt. So it's, it's, it's great. Uh, on social media, it's, everything is Jamie Alimarad, J-A-M-I-E-A-L-I-M-O-R-A-D. Um, all one word, no dots, no underscores, none of that stuff. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the streaming platforms, all the digital stores. My website is jamiealimarad.com. You can find me anywhere. Um, I, I love hearing from, from the fans, from, from the, the, the new audience, from everybody. It's, it's great to, to communicate with people. And especially as we're thinking about live shows, 
if you want me to come to your town, now's the time to start pitching that stuff to me so we can we can come up with a plan because we're chopping at the bit to get back on stage. And there's lots of new music that we're all going to get to play for the first time. That's the best feeling when you do it for the first time. Yep, we've so got to get you to the UK. Uh, I'm I you have no idea how bad I want to go throughout the UK. I have lots of friends there. I've talked to, to, to them about all these different venues and I, I want to do it so bad. And actually one of the, the promo groups that I'm working with is, is based in the UK. And of course, Ditto's in Liverpool. And yep. with all of them, they're like, oh man, we'd love to do this. <laughs> like, you don't understand. I'd love to do this. You know, it's not like you'd be dragging me over there. I want to go so, so bad. And I mean, we'll just wait and see if we can really build some things in the marketplace this year. I think it would make it very easy then to get something going for 2023. And if something takes off like wildfire, which would be the dream, maybe I can get there faster. But I'd like to just get through the winter first and then suddenly uh, maybe all that stuff will become a whole lot more clear. Well, fingers crossed that uh, you certainly get to the UK. Definitely great to get to one of your shows. Oh, yeah, I'd love to have you and uh, love to play for for all the great British people. And uh, again, I have so many friends there, man, I'd love to see them again. It's been years since I've seen some of them, some of them I've performed with some of them. Uh, they, they've seen me live before. It would just be great. And I've never been to England and I never? a huge never. I've never been to Europe, period. And it's just, it's, it hasn't been in the cards for me. And I'm, I'm, I'm dying to go over there. And then as a, as a huge Beatles fan, I just want to go all over the place in England to see all the spots that they were in. It would just be, I mean, uh, that'd be like a religious experience in some ways. And uh, especially after watching Get Back over the holidays, uh, I mean, just seeing that sort of energy and that vibe, it's, it's that magic of songwriting. And I'm pretty mystified by the Beatles as a whole. Uh, I got into them at a very young age and my parents met them and my dad worked with them at one point. It was, it was a lot of cool things there uh, that I, I would love to see for myself in person and, you know, kind of like pick up on some of that energy or something to be magical. Well, let's make it happen for 2023. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, Jamie, it's been fantastic talking to you. We'll uh, oh, certainly, thank have you. Back, certainly have you back on the podcast again very soon. It's always lovely to be here. I'm, I'm glad uh, the new year is off to a great start for you and, and cheers to a lot of success and happiness this year. Yeah, for you too. Also, a big thanks to everyone who listens to our podcasts each week. Thank you so much for joining us for that. And we uh, hope you'll continue to listen to our podcasts. Hope you can join us next week for another episode of the Unsigned Chat podcast. But until then, have a great week. <laughs>